Jolie, your branding badass. Welcome to my new podcast, Branding Matters. Today I'm sitting down with Matt McGowan, the director and GM at Snapchat Canada, the world's most innovative company of 2020, according to Fast Company. Before joining Snapchat in the fall of 2019, Matt was the president of Adestra, a software company he sold to Upland Software in December 2018. And prior to that, he held a leadership role at Google where he focused on its expansion in the advertising and marketing space. Originally from New York, this former Wall Street professional now lives in Toronto, Canada with his beautiful wife and two young kids. When he's not working, Matt sits on numerous boards including the CPA Ontario, the Banff World Media Festival and C2 Ventures, an early stage venture capital company. I asked Matt to be a guest on my show today to get his point of view on branding and what impact it's having on the digital space. I also wanted to get his thoughts on why Snapchat is experiencing such success over the last couple of years and what the future of the Snapchat brand looks like in the post-pandemic world. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to have you here. So before we get started, I just want to say welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's so nice to have you here. You know, before I get into going through my questions, I just want to say when you and I first talked, and I think I mentioned this to you, I was all nervous about talking to you. And you just seem like such a real genuine down to earth guy. Based on, you know, all your experience and everything, you seem really easy to talk to. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. It means a lot. I, I, I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's true. A lot of people in your <laughs> position don't have that same demeanor. You know, they tend to have a chip on the shoulders or something. But anyway, I just want to say that. So before we get into talking about business and Snapchat and mm-hmm. everything, I'd like to get to know a little bit about who you are and what inspires you, motivates you. So I'd like to talk maybe a little bit about your family, maybe more specifically about your parents. Let's start with your dad. What did your dad do and what influence did he have in your life, both personally and professionally? It's a great question. I don't get this one that often. My father's a first-generation American, uh, born in the in New York, like I was. His parents came over on boats from Ireland when they were very young, as their families didn't have enough resources to afford them. So they shipped them off to the uh, to the New World in hopes of a better life. So he grew up in an Irish tenement house in what was Irish Harlem many moons ago. He had an interesting career. Neither of my parents went to college, you know, like kind of like how we would think about it now. My father did end up going back to university, Fordham University in New York when I was a, a teenager, but he had and still has a very interesting career. He was in the entertainment business, uh, focused on bars and restaurants in New York and Los Angeles for a little while, and then went on after he went back to school to build uh, the Hudson River Park Conservancy, which is basically the West Side Highway from 59th Street down to Battery Park City. Kind of a career pivot. I'd say uh, the one commonality for him, what he always taught me was just kind of how to be a good operator. At the end of the day, you know, we all specialize in different verticals or different industries, different expertises, but just being a 
good operator, getting things done, staying organized is kind of at the core of everything that's kind of all the successes I've had. And he's, mm-hmm. he was very much kind of the person to, you know, embed that in my, in me at an early age. So he would sell, he would call himself an operator or a businessman, but at the end of the day, you know, he's done a few things. One of the more interesting things I think if we're talking about him is uh, he's a Vietnam veteran. When he came back from Vietnam, they wrote a book about his experience over there called The Village. I highly recommend reading it. It's number one on the Marine Corps, the United States Marine Corps reading list. When he came back, he restarted something, an organization, nonprofit called the United War Veterans Council, which hadn't operated since 1812. And the remit of the council, as he rebuilt it with uh, his colleagues, was to throw the Veterans Day Parade in New York every year. So that's amazing. I yeah. So yeah. believe it or not, there was a time before the Veterans Day Parade when we weren't celebrating uh, service and, and 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 commitment to our governments. And uh, so he's run that now my whole life. So on the side, as uh, he doesn't earn anything from it, but it's his way of giving back yeah. to veterans. He's very mm-hmm. focused on ensuring veterans are acclimated back into civilian life when they come back from from their service. Wow, that's amazing. And so your mom, did they meet in Ireland or did they meet in New York? <laughs> <laughs> they met in Los they met in Los Angeles on the beach. My mom is now over 50 years flying as a flight attendant with United Airlines. Oh, so is she still, still working? She still works to this day. Yeah. We celebrated her 70th birthday last year. And yeah. And so talk about commitment. You know, she signed up to fly with United, I think now like 53, 54 years ago, and she's still doing it. So Wow. So yeah. she obviously must love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, Definitely. so was your dad then when he was working and your mom was offline, was he sort of home to take care of you guys? And that's not a very traditional yeah. way, is it? No, yeah, it's interesting. My mom, when we, I have two younger brothers. Uh, we're all about two years apart, so they often call us Irish twins. One's in New York, one's in LA. They both have young families as well. We're all rather close. My mom would work turnarounds, so she would fly to like Chicago. She'd drop us off at school, you know, in New York City, yeah. and then go to the airport, fly to Chicago, return come back and pick us up and pick you up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And if we had an open weekend planned, yeah. I would jump on a plane with my mom and go to, you know, pick the city, London, Tokyo for the weekend. That's just crazy. to experience something new while she was working, you know, and sit on yeah. the plane and, and watch the movies. So yeah, it was an interesting, interesting uh, childhood. For oh, sure. that sounds great. I love that. And do they, does your dad have a really thick, strong Irish accent? My grandparents did, yes. Your grandparents did. Oh, right, because your dad was here. Okay. Wow, he was born in New York. Yeah, yeah. Right. And my mom's side, my mom's parents were born in Poland and Russia. So they're Polish-Russian Jews. So the uh, oh, okay. it was interesting. When they got married, no synagogue nor church would marry them. And neither grandparent came to the wedding. Yeah, I believe that. So, interesting, so, interesting time. It is. Yeah, you know what, on a side note, so I'm Jewish and my ex-husband is Irish. So my kids are the same. They have like the Irish go. Jewish. So we celebrate yeah. like Chris we call it Chrismaca around here. So <laughs> hundred we, we were lighting candles last night. We'll light them again tonight and we got a Christmas tree. We do it all. Yeah. All. Yeah. Let it's them nice, be experienced all nice. that. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so then we're going to fast forward to your career. So you went to school in New York and then you, where did you go to school in New York? 
Or did you go in New York? I'm assuming. Yeah, so I went to high school, up, up through high school in New York. High school was actually in the Bronx. And then college in Pennsylvania, followed by a, a Wall Street program that I did for a year uh, after college while working on Wall Street. And then a capital markets and trading program. And then uh, many years later, I went back to school in England for my MBA. Right, right. So did you always want to work on Wall Street? Because And when did you? when were you there and how long were you there? <laughs> So I did my summers interning in Wallen College in, in Pennsylvania, interning in New York and Connecticut for companies like Greenwich Capital, Long-Term Capital Markets, and uh, the New York City Controller's Office. I was very interested in Wall Street and uh, specifically like the debt instruments within that, that existed on Wall Street. I ended up in a capital markets and trading program out of college for two years, uh, on Wall Street, and at which point a senior role on an equity research desk in San Francisco. So I was working from 2.30 in the morning to about one o'clock in the afternoon, East Coast time. Right. And I did that for a year. And so after about two and a half years on Wall Street, almost three years, I decided to make a change. I, I thought it was for me when I was studying. It wasn't the first career I aspired to. Before Wall Street, I aspired to be an engineer. So I actually went to undergrad for engineering first couple of years before I switched. So like, you know, in life, you as you learn, I think you decide to make changes, of course, correct. And being in San Francisco in the late 90s, I tell you, everyone else that I met was building really interesting companies with some sort of component that was, in, you know, so mostly online and mostly tech, but that caught my ear, that, that caught my interest. And um, yeah, I took, a, I took almost an 80% pay cut to leave Wall Street to go join a small development shop under the Bay Bridge in, uh, in San Francisco. And uh, I've never looked back. Wow. So did you just find the whole Wall Street experience? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the Wolf of Wall Street. Was that pretty true to form? And was it high stress for you? Or what was the sort of impetus for you saying, I'm done? It's interesting. So I was an intern on a trading desk on a repo, a repurchase trading desk for large bond traders. And I was trading, making billion dollar trades. Amazing. And right. how old are you then? Sorry, you were, you were uh, this pretty is, young, This right? is college. Yeah. yeah. So I graduated college at, uh, at 21. So I was probably 19. So you're a um, young guy, 19, and the world is your oyster. And and Wall Street seemed to be like where the action was right. until I discovered kind of technology and the internet. So it was an amazing experience. I, I would... I would do it exactly the same way if I could do it again. I learned a lot. Uh, I met a lot of really good people. I was given a lot of responsibility at a young age, but it just, you know, it wasn't for me. I didn't see my future there when I thought long-term. So right. I decided to make the change for a variety of reasons. But um, So there wasn't anything that turned you off necessarily. It was more there. You're more interested in the other world. It got a little bit repetitive. Researching stocks, working with fund managers, pension funds, mutual funds and such, helping them understand and trade, you know, equities and debt instruments. It just got a little repetitive for me. And my creative juices were crawling out and I wanted to get to somewhere where I could build something. I didn't see a path to building something on Wall Street at that time. Right. Like fintech was not something that I was thinking about. So yeah, so it made a change. And so then you went to San Francisco. How long after that did you go to Google? I ended up at Google uh, probably 2000 and 2012. Sorry. So, I know. Yeah, it's hard to I, believe it's 2020 already, right? <laughs> time time yeah. moves so fast. Yeah. So in between, you know, we, we ended up selling that development shop to Pearson, the guys who own the Financial Times, amongst other things out of the UK. 
um, which meant that I was moving back and forth between San Francisco and London, England a lot, which is why I ended up going to get my MBA in England at Oxford, because I had been spending so much time there and I was exposed to this new, very old, the world's oldest university, but it was mm-hmm. new to me. And I kind of fell in love with it. After that, so the only thing you fell in love with when yeah. you were there. <laughs> well, right? yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I did meet my now wife while I was there also. So you could say I made the right decision. Wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her. It definitively wouldn't be in Toronto if it wasn't for her. I built a media business with some colleagues before Google. Google was my largest customer in North America. And when we sold that media business, I got a phone call and um, started exploring opportunities at Google. Amazing. So just to back up a little bit, and then I want to talk into talk about Google. So you decided to do your MBA while you were working. What was it that made you decide to go back to school? I mean, at this point in your career, you seem to be doing well and working in these companies. What was it that made you decide you want to go back to school and get your MBA? For people who are listening out there, you know. It's a good question. Yeah. Um, Very good question. For me, it was all about my network and all about expanding my relationships globally. I had spent a very short amount of time and my career, you know, call it a few internships in college. And then now flash forward to 2003, you know, four right. years of work experience, mostly in the U.S., focused on U.S. businesses, U.S. markets by going to school at Oxford, one of the most international programs on the planet, um, where less than 15% of the students were actually from the U.S. to begin with, opened up my eyes to a much broader world. You know, that world I had seen by traveling with my mom years ago like, mm-hmm, um, that's on right. her passes, but I had never really worked in it. And uh, Oxford was an opportunity to kind of expand my horizons outside of North America and the United States. Okay, great. And that was great experience for you. Like you said, you're glad you did that. And I, I mean, not just getting I, your I do MBA, it again. being there. I do it again. That's pretty amazing, yes. especially meeting your wife there. I'll tell you, post-Oxford, having sold the business to Pearson, which is a large British publisher, my next two businesses, Incisive Media and Adestra, based in the UK, one in Oxford. So, oh, you know, okay. I, I definitely found a nexus there of really interesting people who I work well with and who I accomplish quite a bit, who I have accomplished quite a bit with. I ended up going, you know, in and out of the UK almost monthly for the next decade after my business school. Well, tonight yeah. I lived in London actually for a while in an area oh, called wow. yeah, the area called Richmond. I don't know if do you know where that is. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. For yeah, sure, I sure. after university I traveled for many years and lived there for six months, and it was an amazing experience. So back to Google for a second. I know we're kind of jumping all over the place here. What was your part in their expansion of the advertising and marketing space? And did you have, what was your role doing that? Yeah, I had two major roles while I was at Google, both focused on their ads business. One was very internal, kind of being the chief operating officer or uh, chief of staff for our global agency business Mm -hmm. um, out of New York. So I was paired with the person who ran that business globally, and I worked with him to make sure we were focused on the right markets, on the right clients, the right products, and so on and so forth. I think some of the bigger accomplishments I had while at Google, Google, when Google was founded, it was very much focused on small, medium-sized businesses. It was trying to democratize advertising through its AdWords platform. As Google matured and grew, it grew into more of like a Fortune 500 world as well. But the tool sets and the ad tool sets that were available to the Fortune 500 clients were very much uh, built for SMB clients. So small and medium-sized businesses. So working internally at Google to help 
kind of help them succeed in the in the enterprise or Fortune 500 space was very much you know my focus early on at Google. And then when I moved up to Toronto, I started focusing more on work externally, you know, communicating all Google had to offer to the major hold codes and agencies here in Canada. Mm-hmm. So um, similar roles, very different kind of focuses, but, you know, very much building within the same global team. Right. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So you went to Toronto. So you've lived in a lot of different cities. I mean, You've been in San Francisco, New York. Um, so we're in the UK. Was it London that you were? Yeah. So I mean, Oxford, I know you were in Oxford. Oxford and London. Yeah, yeah. So depending how you look at it, depending on the time, one or the right. other. I've lived in yeah in a few places. Uh, yeah. Vienna, Austria, Vienna, Austria, New York, uh, LA, San Francisco, Hong Kong. A lot of time in Sydney, Australia. Oh, Sydney's um, beautiful. I, I actually yeah. lived there too for a while. <laughs> and did you ever go to Manly Beach? Been many times. Oh. I take the ferry. I loved it. Actually, the oh. last time I was there, I uh, met my team at a restaurant in Manly, and I landed at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., whatever it was. Went to the hotel, dropped my stuff off, got on the ferry, probably the 9 a.m. ferry, and uh, met them out there at like 10, 1030. It was great. I love Manly. I lived there for six months. I do have to ask you this, though. Did you ever make it up to Byron Bay? I have been to Byron Bay. I worked there for a few months. My (laughs) favorite place in Australia. We sold um, Headland Digital Media to Pearson in 2000, I think it was. One of our senior engineers and I um, jumped on a plane when that whole deal was done and dusted and drove almost around the entirety of the uh, of the continent. So uh, we drove, oh, so wow. that was my first trip to Australia. It was a, a few month drive with a very good friend. So, Amazing. Yeah. And in that drive, we went up the East Coast to start, yeah. right? And yeah. we ended up at Byron Bay amongst other places. Well, I was there, like I said, after university, I was there many years ago. When I lived there and worked there, it was known as the land of the lost hippies, right? I mean, it was all, I don't, and then, you know, there was just, it was people were walking around and tattoos and I I live with this. I live with a band actually there. They played in a band and they used to smoke pot. And it was just this real amazing lifestyle, free and easy, which is perfect when you're traveling. But now I hear it's turned into this land of high hotels and famous people have homes there. And it sounds like a totally different place. So was it like that when you were there or was it a mixture of both? I'd call it a mixture. I'd call it a mixture. Yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole, I mean, Australia is a very dear place to me. I spent, yeah. like, I spent a lot of time there very much. Uh, Same yeah. with me, I there's, loved there's it. A lot, there's a lot to like. <laughs> I know. So anyway, we divert, I'll get back, but I, I have a very special place for Australia as well. So now you're in Toronto, Canada. So where I was going with this is, how do you like Toronto being in Canada and you feel you, like you're a Canadian now and your wife is Canadian and your kids, obviously? Yeah, yeah, my wife's born and bred Montrealer. Kids are born here in Toronto. I I feel very lucky. Like yeah. having spent a lot of time on, you know, lived all you know on three continents and traveled, you know, through and worked on four. I'm just I feel blessed. I I can't I can't. It's hard to explain how much I enjoy you Toronto. Toronto. I, and you're okay um, with the for, weather? You know what? Like New York has seasons. The one thing that I missed when I lived in LA was yeah. seasons. I am just fine with the weather. Uh, I love the summers. They're not too hot. The winters get cold, but not like Montreal. The oh, I snow know. And is, the snow. 
The snow's good. It snow's not so bad. I mean, I think we probably get more snow in New York. Um, we definitely got more snow in Pennsylvania yeah. when I went to school down there than, than we do here in Toronto because of the lake effect. I think Buffalo gets the worst of it. Listen, it's the most international city on the planet. Yeah. You know, 55% of Torontonians like me aren't from Canada. It has a huge tech scene. People are phenomenal in, in sweeping generalization, but like I very much enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed getting to know the city over the last six years, I think. Yeah. And it's been so, good to me. I hope to be, continue to be good to it. So, yeah. <laughs> so do you find Canadians are as polite as the rest of the world says we are? <laughs> compared, especially compared to New York, right? Coming from New York. What would There's you a say? lot of stereotypes. They're, they're all accurate some of the time. But yes, yeah. uh, I think Canadians are definitely, uh, in general, you know, a, a kind, thoughtful and uh, easy to get along with population. Um, but that's but that's but that's that's very that's a big generalization. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I because so much of Toronto is our visitors like me or you know people mm -hmm. you know transplants or, yeah. or expats i guess expats is the word i love that that reminds me a lot of my time in hong kong it just feels like home feels like home i, I don't know how to say it yeah yeah so it feels Very right well that's good well it's good mm -hmm. okay let's talk about snapchat <laughs> so really i mean one of the most iconic brands in the world and if anyone out there has a teenager has teenagers i have two boys i mean that's the only way they communicate now with their friends is they snap each other and they don't even add words to it they literally just send pictures back and forth to each other so i've always thought of snapchat as uh, a messenger app another another messenger app i guess because it's just the way they communicate but it's mm -hmm. interesting because you refer to it as a camera company. Mm -hmm. So can you elaborate a bit on that and why it's called a camera company? Yeah, listen, we, we are a lot of things and we're different things to different people for sure. All, all users, all Snapchatters, all 249 million daily active Snapchatters around the world, when they open their phone, it opens to the camera. We're the only platform at, you know, of any scale that does that. And we put a lot of time and thought into our camera. And, and, and how it's used and what it can do and, uh, and so on and so forth. There's an interesting stat. There's about 8 billion photos and videos taken on mobile phones around the world in any given day. Over 50% of them are taken on the Snapchat camera. So we're, we're a camera company. We, we take more video and pictures than, than, than any other camera on the planet by a long shot. So, so that's first and foremost. But the idea of the camera, opening to the camera, is basically to satiate or to align with one of our North Stars, which is to be the fastest way to communicate. As you said, we're a you know, messaging platform. Yeah, and we believe that the camera is the fastest way to communicate. A picture can speak a thousand words. We all you yep. know, we know the sayings, you know, video, a million. There is a lot of context that is lost when you only use a QWERTY keyboard or you know, a keyboard. Mm -hmm. uh, so while you can use a keyboard on Snapchat, we find that most of Snapchatters, what I call the users on the platform, use words here, use words here and there, but they use pictures and video. Yeah, I don't think my kids well. use words. I think they just snap. You know, it's. I gotta <laughs> tell you something. My age is going to show a little bit here. I mean, the reality is, Snapchat's only what eight years old. Like it was founded, I think, in two thousand twelve, right? But it's only four years yeah. in Canada. So I'm a little bit older. My sister, I'll never forget my older sister when she bought her first phone with a camera. And she's like, yeah, I got a phone with a camera. And I remember saying to her, like, what the hell do you need a camera on your phone for? Like, who needs that? I have my I have my camera. I don't need one on my phone, you know. And then 
now it's just crazy. I mean, I couldn't even imagine everything. You talk about your phone opening up to your camera. I mean, I tell that to my kids. And, you know, the other thing, too, is think about how many pictures are on your phone. When's the last time you actually printed off pictures? Do you even remember? Funny, my mom's here right now, and we were looking at those mixed tiles and maybe doing like a, but it's it's rare. I don't. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, my my phone has four cameras, right? We have four lenses on these new phones: yeah. one front, three back. But um, yeah, I can't. The pictures tend to exist digitally um, I know. more so than you know in the real world. Yeah, it shows I have photo album of my firstborn. I have a lot of hard, mm. more, way more mm -hmm. photo albums of my first son and by my second son, way less because they're all on my phone. So that just goes to show and how fast. I have a handful of pictures of my grandparents. I have one or two of my great grandparents. I have hundreds of me and my brothers when we were kids with my parents. But I literally have tens of thousands of photos of my kids that are all digital, right? right. Like because Because the camera is like... I know built into the mobile yeah. device it um yeah we just we just snap away <laughs> i know it's crazy no pun intended so mm -hmm. let's talk about ar so ar stands for augmented reality and mm. snapchat is the only app that has that functioning functionality is that true uh other other platforms are playing catch up with augmented reality so i wouldn't say we're the only but uh we but have the, the largest originator. yeah we have yeah. the largest community of individuals who use augmented reality in any mm -hmm. given day right can you elaborate so for those people who may not know what augmented reality is can you elaborate on what it is and why it is so popular yeah for sure so what is it? It's kind of like what it sounds like. You're augmenting reality with, um, in a manner in which like com components of the digital world are overlaid into a person's perception uh, of the real world via a mechanism like a camera. So, you know, one of the easy ways to think about it is when you, you know, you can hold up your camera and augment what it actually sees, the reality that it actually sees to help build a more immersive uh, immersive experience for the person you know using using AR so you know there's 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 so many practical uses to AR one that many platforms are playing with are like mapping right so you can like hold up your phone look at the real world and you can see arrows where the closest starbucks is or tim hortons or whatever it might be well i was actually curious to know that's fine because i was actually curious to know if ar was different than filters because i thought it was sort of the same thing so lenses yeah so on snap we have <laughs> lenses and filters lenses are the are, are how we kind of activate augmented reality within the uh, oh, okay. within the platform so in order to be the fastest way to communicate we often look at you know pictures and images and pictures and video as being faster to get across your point than maybe written word. Yeah. But people are uncomfortable with pictures, right? Especially pictures of themselves. Uh, sorry, you wouldn't know that with the um, the explosion of selfies <laughs> that people were right. But people aug people augment but their the way they look. Yeah, they yeah. they want them to be like their perfect self, oh, right? Yeah. Because it's going to last forever when you post this picture, wherever you post it, wherever you send it to, it's going to come back and haunt you, all this mm -hmm. jazz, right? Well, at Snapchat, that's not the case. So first of all, the pictures and photos you send and video you send are ephemeral. They disappear after they've been seen, Yeah. right? So it's not about creating your best self. It's about expressing you know, your feelings or, you, you know, communicating with your friends, colleagues, and family. So often when we have a conversation, it doesn't last forever. Not everything is recorded in this world and, right. and by design. So the idea of ephemerality helped 
Snapchatters become more comfortable with sending pictures back and forth to each other because they knew that they weren't going to haunt them Stay. 10 years later, a year later, whatever yeah. it is. Enter augmented reality. We introduced lenses to quickly augment your photo to better help you better express your whatever it is you're trying to your communicate, yeah. your message, and to make you more comfortable with the photo, especially if it's a photo of yourself, yeah. you can quickly swipe and make it look a little bit different. Uh, okay. So filters and lenses were added quickly after the app was launched as they are a way to help you be more expressive in your communications and be more comfortable with the videos and photos that you send. It's grown into so much more. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. You know, it's funny you talk about how pictures are sent and then they disappear right away. I thought that was one when Snap first came out, that was the cool thing about it, right? Is that Matt, people would just send them and then they'd be gone. There was no way to... Well, if we're crossing the street and we're passing each other during our lunch break or something, we may have a moment where we share some information, but it's not recorded. And that was kind of the idea behind Snapchat. It's like yeah. not everything, you don't need a history of your conversation. Right. Like, let's just be, let's just connect people who can have their, you know, communicate in the moment and then it, and then it disappears. And then it goes away. Way. So that's where it's different than, for example, Messenger, where you have a mm, you long know, history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Snapchat came on the scene in 2012 and it just exploded and it went up and it became popular super fast. And then 2018, it sort of hit a bit of a bump. And then in 2019, which coincidentally is the same year that you came on board, which I found is interesting, <laughs> their stocks rose 250%. So it, everything changed. So A, what did you have anything to do with that? And you can take credit if you want. And B, what happened to turn it around like that? A couple things here. So Snap has had its up and downs like any company has, you know, its life cycle. The macro long-term trend has been up and to the right. 95% of Snapchatters when they join the platform to communicate with their friends, stick around and never leave, right? So the retention is really high with our platform because of that messaging use case amongst some of the other bits and pieces we've launched over the years. Fact was that Gen Z and millennials were very much enjoying Snapchat. They had figured it out. They were using it and were, you know, continuing to use it. But many of the kind of, you know, older generation, greater generation didn't notice, didn't see it, didn't dig deep enough to figure didn't out like why, why this platform yeah. was so unique and so sticky. So when you look at our daily average user growth over the years or our, our reach in, in, in the various markets with which we operate, it's pretty much just like up and to the right. Like it was never going to die. It was just a lot of naysayers out there. I can say that there was a redesign back then that was done on how one would interact and use the platform that was not done probably at the standard with which uh, our team would have liked it to be done. And it did have a negative impact on a few high profile users of the platform. Even that was fixed and, you know, we kind of moved forward. So... So was there one particular thing? I mean, to, for the stock to raise 250%, there wasn't one thing that turned it around or you think it was just a correction or? Much of the competition store data and have privacy policies that are very different from Snapchat. Snapchat doesn't store data. We don't use social graphs. We, you know, we're private by design. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a North Star of the business, um, similar to like fastest way to communicate. I think yeah. all of that resonates a lot right now with the population globally. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, listen, I'd love to take credit for it. I can't. <laughs> I can say that the company has, you know, leadership 
Evan, our founder, has come a long way with mm-hmm. this business. And when we look at it today and we look at the future, I would say that the future is is looking bright for the business because of that privacy by design element, because we're the fastest way to communicate and for other reasons as well. So. Right. Okay. No, I, there's no doubt that the future is looking bright. I mean, you can just see by the users. You were talking about the statistics as far as how many users are out there. And then you also mentioned to me, I remember when you and I spoke that one in three users are parents. Oh, yeah. Here in Canada, one yeah. in three Snapchatters are, are parents. So we're often thought of as like the student platform. And maybe 10 years ago, we were, or nine years ago when we launched, but the platform has aged up. We often talk about 13 to 24 and 13 to 34 uh, years old being mm-hmm. our core audience. And um, here in Canada, when you t- speak to that, you know, 13 to 34 and our 35 plus audience, yeah, it's strong enough that one in three are parents. Snapchat, the Snapchat generation is getting older. Right. And, uh, growing, <laughs> growing up, you know, they've entered the workforce and they're probably on their second or maybe their third or fourth job. Right. No <laughs> kidding. Well, that's great. Okay. So let's talk about branding. Starbucks and Snapchat created a Canadian exclusive way to bring people together virtually over the holidays because we're not able to go out into the, the Starbucks restaurants anymore, the Starbucks coffee places anymore. It's a brilliant idea to create community online virtually. So what is Snapchat's business model and how could other brands um, look at Snapchat as a potential branding and business partner? It's a great question. And uh, as I was saying, the, the business is Snapchat is an ad supported business where 99.9% of our revenue revenue is, 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 you know, generated by advertising. We work with companies like Starbucks, other Fortune 500s, other QSRs, as well as small and medium-sized businesses to help them connect with our audience in very thoughtful, engaging, and, and, and immersive ways. That Snapchat Starbucks campaign, I believe you're referring to, was the hangout and be present one. And, you know, mm. Starbucks likes to think of itself as a gathering place, right? You know, you get people over the, over the holidays would gather at tables at Starbucks over a yeah. cup of coffee and a snack that's not happening this year here in Canada and most of the world. So they brought the experience online virtually using our creative tools and augmented reality to kind of do that digitally instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I get the end of the day as an ad supported business, we work with companies like Starbucks to uh, connect with the consumer. So how do you think technology is changing branding moving forward? Because that seems to be the trend. mm, It's an interesting one. Branding as an expertise, I think, has evolved considerably over the last, you know, call it 100 years. Technology is playing much more of, you know, it's much more of a variable these days than ever. And when I think about branding, I think about how the consumer connects with your company emotionally. So like a good brand connects with people at what you might call an emotional level, right? A recognized brand helps consumers or customers know they're getting a quality product, right? So when I think of brands like Starbucks or, or, or other QSRs, they're reinforcing their emotional connection with the consumer via our platform. And technology adds a whole new element. And I don't know, I, when I think of technology, I start to think of questions like, for instance, you know, what does your brand voice sound like i mean the literal voice like does your brand have a voice because mm-hmm. voice search and, and 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 voice communications have 
people are talking to brands now, like uh, on platforms. And I also think about, yeah, engaging with brands. Yeah. And I also think about brand experience. It's not just a logo anymore. Often, you know, the experience when you walked into a brick and mortar store was an extension of that brand. Now, what, how are you thinking about it online? I think the days of flat websites and banner ads are kind of behind us. So how do you recreate that brick and mortar brand experience, you know, online? I think, I think companies are leading into Snap to do that in, you know, augmented reality. Brands should start asking the question, how can we utilize technology to make communication with customers more natural? Right. So and I- know, these are things that come to mind. Yeah. And I would say with COVID, I think that's probably accelerated that because more and more people are online when COVID hit and people were looking at different ways to do just that, right? How do we engage with our customers when we used to do it uh, in person and now we have to do it all virtually? What's the best way to do that to still make that connection? Yeah. I mean, the COVID is interesting. You know, Speaking about today is interesting. When we think like we surveyed our, our Snapchatters last year before the holidays and asked them how they were going to buy gifts. And 31% said they were going to buy them online. Seven, yeah. That's 69, almost 70% buying them at store. This year, you can imagine it's flipped. Oh, yeah. Right. So, so now we're 70 plus percent buying online versus the, you know, 20 plus percent who want to buy in store. So that's a, I mean, that's, that's a massive structural change to the way companies are doing business. And those companies that have not leaned in to create that digital experience, connect with their brands online, and who are still relying on customers walking through the front door, they're going to have a hard time. And unfortunately so. And now do you think that that's going to, I mean, once we, you know, now there's a vaccine coming and there's a, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you think that that's now changed forever moving forward? That whole being connecting with your audience and changing the way you're doing your branding and marketing? Change forever. Yes. Is it a straight line? No. Like for instance, my mom, we were speaking about her earlier, you know, she's gotten used to ordering groceries online, something she never would have done before. I know. Right? She couldn't Same get the right apples or berries. Yeah. yeah. Um, she, she now can, right? She knows she can. So will she yeah. go back? Sure. I think she'll go back uh, in the immediacy. Yeah. She'll end up in a store. Will it be, you know, but her online kind of what she's doing online and how she's getting her, you know, solving her uh, purchasing the items she needs and such online. That's not going to go back to where it was pre all of this, whether or not there's a small rebound or not, will be interesting to see, but we've, people have changed their behaviors. It's a new world we're looking at right now. Yeah, definitely. I've never done more of Zoom calls in my life, but I have to tell you that I really like them. And now I'm doing them with people, with friends, because you realize like it's so nice to hear you are in Toronto and I'm in Calgary and to be able to see each other and communicate and connect like Mm. this is great. So kind of goes back to the whole Snapchat of, uh, you know, picture says a thousand words and, and you guys now obviously have the video and all that just to reinforce that concept, right? Yep. Yep. I, I'm about to uh, wrap come March 2021. It'll be a full year. I have not been on an airplane. Amazing. Think about that. Okay. So a couple more things I want to talk about. We talked about uh, Snapchat. One thing I want to talk about is Bitmojis. So Snap is actually the parent company of Bitmoji, right? They bought, correct me if I'm wrong, they bought them out and they own Bitmoji. Snapchat bought Bitstrips, which is Bitmoji, four years ago. And with that, opened up our operations here in Canada. So that's been exciting. So Bitmoji is one of the first, I don't know, not first, but an early Canadian uh, success tech technology success story. And the best thing, you know, Evan's very thoughtful about this. He's kept the original operating team running the business. 
So Ba, who is the founder, is still there with his founding team, is still there, and they're still located here in Toronto. So for anyone out there who doesn't know what Bitmoji is, uh, it's basically an app that lets users create customized cartoon avatars, right? That they can use to, when they message. I love Bitmojis. When it, when I first discovered it, it was great. I was having fun. Do you have a Bitmoji? Have you created your own avatar? I definitely do. I actually created one for my mom uh, a week ago. As well. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. And does it look like you? I think mine does. You might disagree, but I think it looks like me. And your mom? Looks like her. We had to work very hard to get the hair color, right? Yeah. And the glasses. Oh, I'm glad you brought up hair. So I love the emoji and I, I think it's so fun. And I was having a challenge doing the hair. I mean, they have, so, I love it because they have so many, you literally can, if anyone out there has never done it before, you can really design it. You start with a blank face and you can add the hair and the eye color and the shape and everything. But I couldn't find my hairstyle. And I was like, I thought, okay, when I talk to Matt, I'm going to say, can we work on the hairs and get a few more styles out there? I don't know how much say you have in there. But we, uh, we, will, we will continue to work on the hair. That's a promise. <laughs> um, don't worry. Well, I was going to um, ask you, actually, the, so there is a question there. How often do they update those? Often. All the time. So uh, yeah. there's a full design team working on Bitmojis now. We also have done integrations with Nike's Jordan brand, Ralph Lauren, Levi's, so that you know you can dress your Bitmoji in mm -hmm. the iconic clothing. That oh, yeah. The fashion is another thing I think needs a little bit of updating on. It's well, fun, though. We're, we're, we're launching that. Like, so Levi's went live last week. Ralph Lauren went live about a month ago. Jordan about a month before that. So we uh, will continue to do these integrations. So the fashion options will continue to grow. <laughs> well, that's great. You know, at the end of the day, really, I would, if you were to describe Snapchat in one word, the one that comes to mind for me is fun, right? I just, just what we're talking about now. So would you, what would you say is the one word if you were to, if someone said describe Snapchat in one word? I, I'm going to go with fun because there's an interesting stat <laughs> that just reminded me of when you said this, the vast majority of Snapchatters, like in the high 90%, feel better after they've left our platform than when they started. And we attribute that because they're connecting one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two or one-on-three, but in small numbers with their friends mm -hmm. and their family and their colleagues. And what makes you happier than spending time with friends, family, yeah. and loved ones, right? So that is a major differentiator for us in these online People are not going on to get more likes. They're not going on to go viral. They're not going on Snapchat to show off their best self and hope that everyone recognizes it. They're literally going on to communicate with their friends. And because of that, when that communication happens, just in life, we feel better when we're surrounded yeah. by loved ones. And especially today when we're all stuck at home, if we have a home, if we're lucky enough to have one, yeah. it's really hard to surround yourself with loved ones. So Snapchat has played a critical role, I think, Brings in people together. mental health and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, too, with what's going on today, it's try to it's hard to find the joy so even if it's as simple as putting doing someone's emoji i mean when i get someone else's bitmoji in a text it makes me smile instantly right that's what you do you're you instantly smile and so you hit the nail right on the head i think it's just bringing a little bit of joy and fun so well that's great okay my last question and i've been <laughs> waiting to ask this to you you and i talked about this briefly on the phone so we talked about your family earlier we talked about your parents and you have two younger brothers one is in california i think and the other one is in new york when i was doing my research on you before we met i was doing a little bit of digging and i found out that you have a famous brother 
who happens to be on one of my favorite Netflix shows. And I'm not just saying this because he's your brother, because I this is a show that I watch. It's called Shameless. And my kids and I watched it. Probably isn't necessarily good for kids, but it's a really hilarious show. <laughs> And with, oh, there's, what's Kevin, not Kevin Spacey. Um, William, so Bill Macy. William, William yeah, Macy, William Macy. And Emmy, such a, Emmy such, Rosslyn. Yep. Yeah, great, great show. And so there's this character on the show, one of the few episodes, and he he just plays this sect addict, and he's hilarious, and he's so funny. And I found out that his name is Zach McGowan, and that is your baby brother. That's my little brother. That's your little brother. That is just crazy. So can you tell me a little bit about, if, first of all, have you, you've obviously watched the show. I have. Yeah. <laughs> and what yeah. did you think of Jody? That was his character. It was a breakout role for him. It was his first regular season regular role. And if you ask me, I think roles like that are perfect for him because he's... he's is he anything funny. like the character? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> he is one of the hardest working people I know. I look to him for inspiration all the time. He gets rejected often two, three times a week oh, yeah. for roles. And he has to get back up and give it his all 100% the ne very next time. And uh, he's had a very like fortunate career. He's been a pirate for Michael Bay. He's been, you know, a sex addict <laughs> and shameless. He's, uh, but he does it so well. Team. Like he's so, it's a funny character, right? He's not a serious. Oh, it's, 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 yeah. It's all about humor. Yeah. In the show. It's not about, there's yeah. no net. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, he's played a king on the 100. He's played a villain on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's been in a bunch of movies. He has had a very interesting, probably 12 years of his career. And I must say, it's been nothing but like heartwarming to watch him have the success because I remember when he was bartending mm -hmm. and working in the kitchen as a sous chef and doing odd jobs for over a decade trying to succeed in what is probably one of the hardest industries yeah. on the planet to succeed in. So is he like Jody? He could be just as funny as Jody. He's <laughs> full of you know, his his hobby is to like read National Geographics and he has he's full of knowledge that you would never expect. And I think Jody was as well. He's a fitness nut. Um, you know, he runs 10 miles a day, sometimes more up mountains often. There's a lot all with his most amazing wife, who I think he wouldn't have had any success if it wasn't for her. Uh, they've been together since college uh, and he graduated wow. college in 2002. So I think they've been together for over 20 years. Yeah, he's done quite well. He's a lot of fun. We chat every few days, often FaceTime. I miss him dearly. And, Aww, uh, that's yeah, so nice. Yeah, well, you sound like a fun. very proud big brother, which is super nice. And then I don't want to leave your other, your other sibling out because he's going to feel left out just quickly. What does he do? Doug's worked for the government. Doug was a Marine like my father before him, and he's worked for the government for years. He is. Yeah, he's also worked on wall street as well um oh, wow. for jp morgan and barclays and now he's in the oil and gas business responsible for operations in the middle east okay great so three yeah. boys oh yeah three all boys doing well yeah. and all living far away it's hard but i guess hopefully you can all stay connected like we talked about with your snapping each other <laughs> yeah right? we definitely do we definitely <laughs> do i would say uh yeah it's it's fun to live abroad it's fun to travel but like it's hard because our families are not all growing up i know each other. we have to make you know significant effort to get together and in this last year it's been impossible oh so. i know I'm the same. My brother's in New York and I have two sisters in Montreal and my mom's in Montreal and I'm in Calgary. And yeah, I totally agree. So anyway, well, 
I know you have to go. So thank you so much for your time. And it was such a pleasure talking to you and learning about you and about Snap and everything that's going on. If people want to learn more about you and about Snapchat and maybe some marketing partnerships, what's the best way mm -hmm. for them to get a hold of you? Oh, you can email me. Uh, it's just McGowan, M-C-G-O-W-A-N, at snap.com, S-N-A-P.com. So McGowan at snap.com, and I'll reply. I, I, I pride myself on replying. So, Are you on do. social media as well, or no? I am, yeah. So I, um, I'm on Snapchat as McGowan Matt, and I am on Twitter as Matt underscore McGowan, and LinkedIn is Matt McGowan. Matt so McGowan. yeah, you can definitely find me. Yeah, okay, easy awesome. to find. Well, thank you again. Good luck with everything. And uh, maybe we can get your brother on the show. <laughs> we can ask. We can All right. Ask. Thanks, Matt. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe even learned a few things that will help you with your branding. And most of all, I really hope you had some fun. This podcast is a work in progress. So please make sure to rate and review what you think and please subscribe to Branding Matters on whatever platform you listen to. And please share with anyone you think would also enjoy it. And if you want to learn more about the branding badass, that's me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn under, you guessed it, branding badass. So thanks again, you guys. And until next time, here's to all you badasses out there. <laughs>